Hey, good evening, everybody. We doing all right? I am, uh, this is going to be a tough one to get through. I'm already emotional. It was uh, emotional as we were talking beforehand, and, and then I meet these three incredible young saints back here from YWAM who are on fire for Jesus. Their whole, their whole desire is to just ignite faith on public school campuses, and uh, I'm trying to get them to come to my private school campus and do the same thing. But boy, you just get around them and you can feel it. Man, Jesus oozes out of them. If you haven't met them, meet them before you leave tonight. It'll be worth your time. And ask them what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and then this guy comes up and shares a vision with me, gets me all choked up, and now I'm supposed to teach. Let's see if we can get through this together. Yeah, I titled this thing, well, the Lord titled it, Laying Our Letters Before the Lord, and hopefully that'll make sense when we get to the end. And I'm going back all the way to Andrew's uh, sermon on Sunday where he focused on Psalm 127, 1 and 2. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I love that passage of the Psalms. And you know, what what does it look like when man labors in vain? I mean, we kind of know, we've talked about it, but what does that really look like when man labors in vain? We've got some great examples of it in Scripture. One of the fruits of that is division. Sarah decided she was going to take into her own hands God's promise, and from that created Ishmael. And through that, divided Abraham's house to this day. That's the fruit of man laboring in vain, going after God's promise, but not with his guidance and strength and direction and timing. Another fruit is just fruitlessness. Right? The Israelites rebelled against God and got to spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert. I don't know if there's a better definition for fruitlessness than that. And why did they wander? Just so a whole generation could die off. That's awful. Because they wanted to get to the promised land. They were disgruntled. Another is discontent. Again, the Israelites, their lack of trust in God to bring them to the promised land, pushed them to the point of desiring to go back to Egypt. Them wanting it so much brought them to a place of discontent where they were desiring bondage and slavery over his promise. You're saying you brought us out here? What Send us back there. We, at least we're eating leeks and onions and enjoying ourselves. That's man laboring in vain. Another, another outcome of our vain labor is confusion. We see that story in the Bible where man decided, we're going to build a tower and reach to the heavens. The Tower of Babel. And what was the fruit of that? Confusion. God came down and said, you know what? No, I'm going to divide their languages up. And from there, they couldn't even communicate. Laboring in vain. It may have been something good, but not with God's pleasure. Lastly, and Andrew talked a lot about this, one of the fruits, obviously, is disaster and death, and we saw that in Saul's life. 
Saul so desperately was seeking after holding on to his own throne when he had lost the the blessing of God that it brought destruction to his entire family and death to himself. When we labor in vain, as Psalms says, it bears those kind of fruits. We've seen that before. We've experienced it, I'm sure I have in my own life. And we see it in the Bible. But the real question is, what does laboring with God look like? What does it feel like to work through his leading by his power for his glory? I've had the joy of the last eight years of leading a small Christian school up in Littleton. And it has been a time of tucking into the Lord and asking for his leading. And through those years, I've, I've learned some lessons, experienced some things, and it's part of what I want to share with you tonight. There's a difference, at least what I've learned, there's a difference between responding to urgency and fear. Oftentimes, we want to react because of fear. That's something coming from the outside. It's, it's a reaction to something that's not of God. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter cuts off the ear of the servant. That's Peter reacting out of fear. Not fully understanding what God's plan is, but realizing I can't let him take my Savior. And so he reaches out and cuts off his ear. There's a difference, though, when we don't respond to fear, but we respond to the urgency, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's rooted in a knowing that brings a peace. We see that in in Joseph when he takes Mary and Jesus to Egypt after he's warned in a a dream. There's this urgency, we've got to get out of here. And he follows that urgency. It wasn't rooted in fear, it was rooted in knowing. And in times when we're pursuing God's will and we're not sure, it's important for us to understand the difference between those two things. A feeling of urgency rooted in a prompting of the Holy Spirit and fear which is rooted in our own being and does not come from our Savior. We know that perfect love casts out that fear and fear comes from our enemy. I've learned that there's a difference between listening and hearing. My wife knows this all the time. Right, Hearing is, is taking in sound without necessarily understanding the content or the source. We hear something, but it's we often hear something, we go, wait, 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 listen, what is that? There's a difference between simply hearing the noise and taking a moment to stop and listen. The calling of Samuel is a great example of that. Samuel, three times, three times, God rouses him out of his sleep. And he springs up knowing he heard something, and he runs to his master Eli and says, yes, what do you want? And three times Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back. Go back. Go back. And the third time he says, go back. And if you hear it again, respond. And the fourth time, God rouses Samuel from his sleep. And he rises and he says this. He says, speak for your servant is listening. He finally Listen, there's a difference between simply hearing the noise and taking time to recognize and understand the sound 
and the voice. Samuel did that. It's a lesson that I've learned the last few years. And that takes stopping. It takes separating yourself for times to be able to listen. We filled our lives with much too many things to the point where we relegated God to windshield prayers. I've got a commute to work that's 45 minutes, and I pray, I have praise and worship on, I, I listen to teachings, but that's not enough. It's not enough. The rules of engagement with our God haven't changed in generations. It's still the same rules that Jesus followed. Jesus had a habit of going off by himself. It's why the disciples asked him to teach them to pray. They saw him do it so many times. He finally came back and they said, teach us to pray. Almost like, what have you been doing out there? Let us in on this. It was his habit to go off by himself to spend time with his father. If Jesus needed to do it, you need to do it. I need to do it. And we can't do it driving our cars. We can't do it with an app so that it's convenient. We squeeze that into our already two-packed life. No. He's saying, come. Come. Come away with me. Spend time with me. Be with me and listen. Listen. Away from the noise. If you want to co-labor with God, you need to be listening. It needs to be deliberate. There's a difference between waiting and not moving. And that's a false dichotomy. We think, well, if we're going to wait, then we're not moving. Or, or waiting isn't moving, and that's not true either. But there is a difference between it. The world wants us to move. The world demands to see that there is things happening. They want to see progress, tangible progress. And if that isn't visual, if that isn't happening, then we're not moving. That's a lie that the world tells you. What God is saying is wait. Wait. And when he says wait, he's meaning seek me. There is nothing more active, more moving than you can do than that. Than to wait on the Lord and in that waiting be seeking him out. Diving into his word, on your face in prayer, fellowshipping with believers, but waiting on him for that direction, that word, that movement, that urgency. Waiting is not the opposite of not moving. Abiding in him, seeking him, is action. It's important to know that establishing and understanding his vision, his vision, his desire, his call, is more important and impactful than public progress. You can do all the bells and whistles that you want. You, you can erect all of the things that you want to build, and it can look great. But if it's without his vision, if it's without an understanding of what his calling is, 
It is laboring in vain. Waiting. And it's not always easy. I'll talk about that a little bit later. I've learned that it is way more important, way more important than to strive after his presence than to desire his promise. We often go after the promise. We want those things, those things we see, in, and we should, right? Those are great. But if you seek his presence, it will lead you to the promise. That's where the promise lies. That's where the fulfillment of the promise lies is in his presence. Knowing him deeper is where it lies. All those other yearnings and longings in your life, all those other promises you see in scripture, they are first fulfilled when you seek him first. That's where it begins. Greatest example is Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Moses, a man already weary of leading the Israelites, a stiff-necked people, he goes before God and God says, you know what, I'm sending you to the promised land, go. Go, what I've promised for generations, you're going to the promised land, I'm sending you, but I can't go. He says, I can't go because you're a stiff-necked people and I'll probably kill you on the way. That's what God tells him. He says, but I'll send my angel before you into the promised land and you will have what I promised Abraham. And Moses' response was, we won't go. Don't send us. Don't do it. Don't send us to the promised land if your presence doesn't go with us. Because if your presence doesn't go with us, how will anybody know that we have found favor in your eyes? How will they know that we are your chosen people if your presence isn't with us? The promise was right there before, Abraham, before Moses. He would have been relieved of the stress and the anguish of leading this stiff-necked people. They would have been in the promised land. And at that moment, it was in his grasp, and he said, no. I want your presence more than I want the promise. And it changed everything. God's response was, okay, I'll go with you. My presence will go with you. Incredible. It changed everything. Because then when the Israelites went into the promised land, there wasn't anyone in that land that didn't know. They were a peculiar people chosen of God, beloved by him, right? There was, you can imagine as they started walking through those lands, if they came up to your city, you were trembling because news got out. God's with them. And he's not made of wood or stone. He's real. Pursue the presence, not the promise. And the promise will come. There's a difference between shadow and darkness. There are times when you are trying desperately to follow God's will, when you are trying to co-labor with him, and there will be seasons where it feels like you are getting resistance. Things are slowing down or stopping. 
there are obstacles in your way. And we often, when those things come, we, we point and we start going into our warfare mode. And that's right. That's good. That may be what needs to happen. But when you get into those seasons of times of trial, when you know you're walking out His will, you need to step back and say, wait, wait. Am I in the shadow of His wing? Or is this the darkness creeping in? And the way to tell is very easy because when the shadow of His wing comes, peace and rest and protection from the heat is what's availed to you. There's a difference in the feeling of those times. And it is a time where he is saying, stop, slow, it's, it's okay. Rest and we'll keep going in a moment. The darkness brings with it division and fear. And it's easily seen as it comes along. So when those times come as you're co-laboring with God, as you're pursuing his will and his vision, stop and Listen. Find out, am I, am I in the shadow or is this the gathering darkness? And lastly, I learned there's a difference between praying and saying grace. I was blessed. I've been in education for 35 years, something like that. That's a long time. That's longer than you three have been alive, huh? Probably combined. No. I had 10 years, about 10 years, I was able to serve as the principal of two different, really affluent, high-powered, influential Christian schools in two different states. And they were schools that had the resources to do whatever they wanted. And there were often times in those situations, in those environments, where we did some good stuff. But we did it just because it looked like it was good stuff. And we asked God to bless it. A lot like saying grace before a meal. Come Thanksgiving, we're all going to sit down and say grace before the meal. Odds are no one, when you're done saying grace, is going to lift their head and go, you know, Lord just told me we're supposed to fast. (laughs) Odds are low on that, right? Because we're not actually at that moment entering into a prayer. We're asking for his guidance for this meal. We're thanking him. We're asking him to bless that meal. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we're planning to move, when we are trying to do something and walk in his will, We can't just be asking him for his endorsement. Which is what we do when we pray that way. We're going and it looks good. So you know what? Bless it, Lord. We want his his endorsement. We want to let him know our intentions. But we haven't invited him into the process. Praying about the next step means I'm going to get on my knees before I take the next step even if I have the resources to do what is before me, and I'm going to ask him, Lord, come in. Come into the process, and you tell me what's next. I'm going to lay it down before my God, much like Hezekiah did. When the king of Assyria assailed Jerusalem, and he wrote him a letter, 
and said, how dare you think you're going to defend your city? I've defeated everybody else. How do you, what do you think your God's any better? Hezekiah, the king, instead of rallying his troops, instead of battening down the hatches, he takes that letter and goes into the temple, lays it before God, gets down on his knees and says, Lord, what, what are you going to do about this? What are we going to do next? And God answered him. Not directly. God answered him through Isaiah. Isaiah comes to him and tells him, don't worry about it. In essence, God said, I got this. That guy's insulting me. I'm going to whoop him good. That's the coup paraphrase version of that passage. I can make 2 Kings really cool. And God sends an angel out and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The king of Assyria wakes the next morning, sees the devastation, and retreats to Nineveh and never comes back. The next passage we see, he's actually slain by his own sons with their swords. He's killed by Assyrian swords. That's God moving. That's God moving, not because Hezekiah took it into his own hands to force his will or even to go after something good and ask God to bless it. No, that was God moving because Hezekiah stopped, prayed, and said, what next, Lord? And what came next was nothing Hezekiah was thinking of. There's a difference between praying saying grace. Here's the bad news. There's no shortcuts in hearing God's voice and discerning his will. There just isn't. I I wish I could tell you, read these three verses, pray this prayer, stand on your right foot, do this, and sing this song, and God's going to talk. In fact, you'll see a burning bush and a talking donkey, and it'll be awesome. That's not the answer. That's not, I can't give you that. It's hard work. It's relationship building. It's 34 years of marriage where you finish each other's sentences and know what you're thinking before you think it. Or you think you know what you're thinking. I will tell you this, if you want that, if you, if you want to know what God's will is, if you want to walk in it, it begins with prayer. Fervent, consistent prayer. Often, not just side prayers. And I mean, pray when you're walking, pray when you're driving, be in a constant inner dialogue with God. But I'm saying find those times where you are sequestering yourself where you are pulling back from the world and you are in prayer with God. If you're in your office, close the door, turn off the lights and get on your knees on the carpet and pray to him. Find those times. It begins there. It it goes on with fellowship with believers. You don't hide Don't hide physically, but certainly don't hide when you have need. Seek out those believers that you know are hearing from God, have discernment, and are practicing these things, and ask them to be praying for you. 
He will speak through them. Like Samuel spoke to David. Like Isaiah spoke to Hezekiah. Because the Spirit of God is within us and He will move and speak. Study Scripture. Third thing, study Scripture. Be in the Word. Read it often. Not just once in a while. Daily make it your practice to eat that bread. Dive deeply into it, long for it, read it, and reread it. It doesn't matter how much of a passage or how short, but read it and dwell on it and meditate on it because in there is the truth of God and the revelation of who He is. Fourth is repentance. You need to be honest before Him, He knows everything you've done already. He's like the most awesome Santa Claus. No, that's really bad. Strike that from the recording. He already knows. Our act of laying it down before him is a form of obedience so that we can be cleansed of those things through the blood of Jesus, enabling us to step into the Holy of Holies and give our request directly to God the Father. Repent. For those sins of commission and sins of omission. Practice humility. Not just thinking less of yourself. That's not it. It is simply thinking more of others. It is the, one of the more compelling characteristics of our Savior. And it's one that we need to embrace and practice because until we understand that and what it means to walk with humility with our God, to walk humbly with our God, it's only then can we truly lay down our will and pick up His. Practice humility. I would encourage you to practice fasting too. It's a spiritual practice that we've lost in America, partly because there's hamburgers on every corner. But there is something about skipping a meal or two, and it's found time. Instead of going to eat, to sit with your Bible, to, to walk and praise, to, to pray, but make that a regular part of what you do. It will not go unrewarded. Obedience, I mentioned that already, but I I had an amazing, I'm going way over time, Marcus. It was about 15, maybe 20 years ago, I spent time writing down all the red letter words. Went through every gospel and I just wrote them down by hand. And I did that because I went back to those to see where is my faith, where is my theology And it was an amazing experience to see how far I had drifted from what Christ was calling me to, how much the secular world had creeped into my faith. It corrected me. It inspired me. It brought me back into obedience to what Christ was calling me to. You don't have to write them all down, but it's pretty cool if you do. But I encourage you, what we're called to be obedient to are Christ's words. Read them. Read them. 
There's great books out there. There's so many authors I love. A.W. Tozer is one of my heroes. I read his stuff all the time. But those words are less valuable to me than the red-letter words found in Scripture. It's to those that I'm called to be obedient. And lastly, perseverance. Pursuing God, knowing his will, is not a moment, it's a lifestyle. It's not something you put on in a time of need or jacket on a cold day. It's not a moment, it's a lifestyle. And it requires perseverance. And if you're in doubt, if you're not sure where to go, I would tell you to 68 it. Not 86 it, 68 it. Micah 6 8. Right? For he's shown you, oh man, what is good, what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Eight years ago, I came to uh, my school, and it was coming out of a really difficult time. They'd almost disappeared. And I walked onto a campus with a faculty that was weary and fearful. A community of parents that was distrustful. They weren't sure if the school was going to be there. There was nothing vibrant about it. I walked the campus and the comment I made is, we have the smell of death on us. Three years before I got there, the Lord started leading me through the book of Nehemiah. And I'm studying it like a lot of people in leadership. It's a great demonstration of leadership and it was partway through that time of just immersing myself over and over again into the book of Nehemiah that I heard the Lord say, you're going to be leading a broken people. Well, at that time, I was at a school that was not broken. They had everything they needed. It was about a year and a half later, I found myself the head of school at my school now. And so I followed Nehemiah's leading, and I walked the land, just taking it in seeing what was there. And as I was walking, I cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I want a vision for this place. I don't want a vision. I wasn't asking for a vision about like educational philosophy or or best practices in teaching. I got that. What I wanted was I wanted to see what he wanted to see. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see buildings and the faces of people And he began to reveal those things to me. I just pressed into him. And there'd be times I'd be walking along campus and I I would get a vision, I would rush back to my office and I would start sketching things out. I would start capturing concepts and ideas for programs. I would draw floor plans. And this happened over seven years. Some of those things actually came to fruition early, which was really cool. It was God just saying, I got you. We're going to make this happen. They came in miraculous ways, and I can't even share all those stories. But I held on to that for seven years. 
as the people around me, we, the, the culture was starting to change, but there was still, I just wanted to get up and rally the troops. I mean, I'm a football coach. I'm the guy that got up in the locker room and, and told my players, if you lay exhausted on the field at the end of the game, I will carry you off. I wanted to do that, and the Lord kept saying, no. These people aren't ready for that message of hope yet. They're not in that place. So for seven years, I stayed silent about it, gathering these things. And it wasn't until last September, God said, now. I was finally able to stand before our community and say, here's the vision. And I'm calling it the Nehemiah Project. And it's three phases of all sorts of things. And it's a lot of it's a building project. And I went to my friends that are also heads of schools and asked for their counsel, and they told me, okay, if you're going to do that, you need to go out and get 50% of your funding, and then you need to create a donor pyramid, and you need to tell, I need this many $10,000 donors, this many $5,000 donors, and then you roll it out and say, and we already have half the money, and who wants to pledge? They all told me this. I went back, and I said, Lord, that's not how this feels like it's been going. And I didn't do that. I stood before the community and said, here's the vision. God's saying now, and we're going to get going on this, and we don't have any money. (laughs) So what I want you to do is pray. And as the Lord leads, come be a part of a great work. The amazing part is, I've not sat down with anyone to ask for funds. We received $261,000 in donations in one year from September to June of last year. And we're able to move forward with almost every phase one project in nine months. This is a school that we haven't even been able to meet our fundraising goals for five years. That 261 more than doubled what we saw altogether. And God moved. It required perseverance during that time. And if you're going to do this, you need to be ready. Because there will be resistance and ridicule. But if you're willing to step into that, if you're willing to absorb that, he's going to move. He will honor it and great things will happen. Fast forward to two weeks ago. It's actually eight weeks ago. I'm in my garage working on my car on a Saturday morning and my phone rings. I don't usually answer my phone if I don't know the number. I happen to answer it. And it's a former family. They don't even go to our school. They moved out of state and they're no longer there. And he, he asked me, he said, David, we love what well, Front Range has done for our family, the difference it's made in our child. And we want to we want to support. And he said, well, what are your needs this year? And so I rattled off some of the bigger projects and big ideas thinking, man, if he'll just give something, right? I'm going, man, a $10,000 gift towards any of these things would be wonderful. 
This gentleman listened and said, okay, you know what? Thanks, I'll call you back. We've got something going on, and, and I think we're going to be able to help out. Six weeks go by. I tell my wife, Kathy, you need to be praying for this family. I'm praying for them. Six weeks go by, and it's a Sunday, and I get a text, and he's asking me to meet uh, in Inglewood because he, he has a check for me. Sure, that's great. So I'm planning on meeting him Tuesday afternoon, and it's Monday afternoon. He comes back and says, I can't make it, so I'll FedEx it to you. So he's going to FedEx it the next day. So it's the Tuesday. Actually, yeah, he's going to FedEx it on Tuesday, which is our, the last day before we had our, our fall break. And uh, I got the tracking information, so I'm tracking this package, right? Um, and I look on there, and I gave him our school address with my home zip code. My school's in Littleton. My home's in Larkspur. And on the, on the screen, it says, it's out for delivery by 4.30 in Larkspur. Going, no, Lord. So I call FedEx. They already caught it. So it was on the screen, but they already caught it. They changed it. It's going to be delivered. It's about 4.30 on that Tuesday, the day before fall break. It's pretty empty at my school. That envelope gets delivered. I, I take it into my office open that envelope, and I pull out a check for $570,000. He fully funded our financial aid budget for the year. He fully funded our project to put fencing around the perimeter of our campus and gave us enough to pursue the potential acquisition of a car wash that's on the corner of our property. Not that we want a car wash. We want the land the car wash is on. Unbelievable. I didn't ask him. God moved on his heart and said, I want to be a part of that. And he was obedient within that. I was going to wait until the next Monday to tell my board, because he had a board meeting, I couldn't wait. So the next morning I got up and sent him an email. My board's response was to gather that Friday morning of fall break to spend time in praise and thanksgiving and prayer for what had happened. And my request of my board right now, because we've wanted that car wash for a long time, we, we would love to do some really neat things with it. And now we have the finances to do that. And what my board's doing right now is they're laying that down before the Lord and they're saying, what now, Father? What, what now? Because we have been a school that doesn't say grace, we pray before we take the next step. Because we have been dependent on him for everything we do. And even though we have been given this gift and we have this sudden affluence, we must remain that people. We're laying our letters before the Lord and saying, what now? What now? God's work done in God's timing is never without God's provision. 
my desire tonight is that you're encouraged. Our God is a good God. There have been many days over the last seven years where I have cried out to him saying, Lord, when will it be easier? When will this burden feel lighter? Boy, he answered that two weeks ago. Seek him. Do the hard work of pursuing him. You will find his will. And if you're willing to stay committed to that, he will honor you within it. Because he, above all else, will be glorified. Amen. Thank you guys for listening.